So this week we're recording the pod shortly after the Nottingham Forest game um, and a little while after tonight's match uh, alongside you know, everybody else in the Wednesday family, we became aware of the tragic news that Hayley Kalinas, who's the wife of Wednesday's fitness coach, Andy, uh, died earlier today um, on the, the 19th of September. Um, we, as Al's Americas, we didn't know Hayley personally, but we do know that many of you who listen did. And we also know that she's been uh, a a really important member of the Wednesday family over many years, um, her, Andy, and the whole family. Um, there are so many people who are affected by cancer and by uh, the impacts that it has on their lives um, across the Wednesday fan base that we don't want to just highlight one individual, but we know that this is hugely important to everybody connected with the club. And we want to recognise tonight that there are things that are more important than football. And there's certainly things that are more important than our commentary on games of football. Um, and our thoughts, our best wishes are with uh, Andy, his family uh, and his friends tonight. And it puts into perspective all of our worries about Wednesday. Um, so focus on the things that matter in life. Um, the podcast that follows is in the normal spirit of fun and frivolity. But we're thinking of Hayley and we're thinking of Andy tonight with our best wishes. is restored on Owls Americast, Sheffield Wednesday, opinion with an American accent. Once again, I am your host, Jeffrey Paternostro, and I am drinking a Long Trail Harvest Vermont Maple Brown. It's starting to get, uh, hasn't really gotten chilly yet. It's going to be cooler this weekend. Leaves have started to fall in my front yard, but that just might be from a tree that is slowly dying. So in that general spirit, I'm drinking a uh, brown ale with a touch of Vermont maple syrup. I am mostly getting just malts. But it's actually quite good. Very drinkable. Only a 4.4. Been a long day. Also on the line this week is our deposed American host, Evan Skelter. Evan, thank you for your service, and what are you drinking? Well, you're welcome. And tonight I have a Pabst Blue Ribbon wrapped in a Columbus Crew SC koozie because Columbus Crew play at 10.30 p.m. tonight against Portland Timbers. That's Mike Laroon's squad. And also, yesterday, Columbus Crew took money out of my bank account to renew my season ticket (laughs) for next season, (laughs) which is optimistic. awfully strange, considering (laughs) the fact that they have told folks in the city of Austin, Texas, that they are bringing Columbus Crew to Austin, Texas next season. So uh, a lot of things going on with Columbus Crew lately that have confused me, thrown me for a loop, but I am drinking from their koozie nonetheless. Also on the line is Patty Jones. Patty, what are you drinking? Uh, I've got water today because I was just at some work drinks. And my last drink I had there was an espresso martini. So in order for me to be able to speak at all today, I'm drinking water. You were a uh, you were a late change to the lineup. As, uh, yeah. Paul, Paul Owen may have uh, hurt himself in warm-ups or has a meeting with a wedding planner he forgot about until an hour ago. Yeah, so I'm a last minute substitution. So hopefully uh, I can do something more like Anoma did at Stoke on the weekend rather than say what. Uh, uh, who's a bad substitute? I'm not sure. George Boyd. Daniel Padil. Amara was fine. Padil's all right. We'll get to that. Go that we'll get to that. And we round out our quartet with James Allen. James, what are you drinking? Uh, I can attest to the fact that I was also at. Uh, 
air quotes work drinks with Paul Owen this afternoon, um, which may possibly have taken place in a bar watching Sheffield Wednesday. And he was in uh, he was in fighting form, um, which may explain why he's not here. Um, what am I drinking? I'm drinking a beer uh, which sums up Wednesday's last two games. It's called Feather Shark uh, by Fifth Hammer. Uh, it's an Imperial India Pale Ale, not a New England IPA. Um, and it has it bears on the can a striking image of a swan with a shark's mouth and rainbow wings, um, which I can only assume means it's both vicious and also um, very feathery and with a soft underbelly. So uh, I, I don't know how I'm going to analogise that to Wednesday any further, but I'll uh, let's see where we get to in the Forest and Stoke games. The podcast does have a bit of a dodgy history when it comes to swans, as I recall. <laughs> I wouldn't want to hit this one with a broom. Its uh, its teeth look very sharp. Well, order is restored on episode 38 of the Owls Americast. The international break is mercifully behind us. We have two games to review, which were typical classic Wednesday at their unpredictable best. We will have a review of a stirring comeback against Stoke and a stultifying, not really, almost comeback away at Forest. Evan will not be singing the Disney songbook this week. We will discuss other goings-on in the COP. We'll have a live update from today's Nottingham, live-to-tape update from the Nottingham Forest game with a member of New York Forest. An interview with Chris Bloom from the New York Owls. We head back to the Big Easy. Another match preview to come and other tidbits and general ramblings. We do have a week of international break news to cover as well. Nonetheless, I fully expect the episode to be under 90 minutes, come hell or high water. (laughs) You say that. Yeah, we'll see how it goes. We'll start and dive right in with the Stoke match from the weekend. Back after the international break and three on the bounce with a refreshed lineup. Stephen Fletcher, it's his first start of the year. The new low knees on the bench and a typically fast Wednesday start. With Benica Fobe scoring twice, James. Yeah, um, we were really sharp out the blocks there in letting Stoke absolutely waltz through us for uh, for twenty minutes or so, weren't we? Um, Fobe seems to have put on some weight. I mean, he was already a fairly uh, uh, striking chap, but usually kind of in the height sense. But he he looked like a uh, heavyweight boxer on the weekend. Maybe that was just my eye follows. I remember but... him uh, more like during his lone spell, and even I think with Wolves being more of like a Jow type body type than a. Akin Fenwa type body type. He 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 looked like he had some serious muscle going on, and um, that's my explanation for why he was able to basically walk unchallenged through the Wednesday back four and score two quick fire goals, um, pretty much without any sort of resistance being met uh, at all. I mean, to be fair, you know, Stoke came out of the blocks uh, fast. They they played some slick passing football. We we really couldn't get a foothold in midfield for the first 15, 20 minutes, and. They played through us, you know. They played a phobia in a couple of times. You know, Wednesday were peeling for offside, but I don't think either case really was a particularly strong argument. And in both cases, you know, he finished with um, with clinical acumen from the you know, just inside the box. Um, should we be allowing allowing him on un, uh, unchallenged shots at that distance? Should maybe our keeper be doing slightly better to uh, to block them? I think we've uh, we've got some conversation points there, but it wasn't long before we found ourselves 2-0 down, and I think most of us probably expected a pretty bad day of the office on that basis. Yeah, shades of the Brentford game early on. But uh, Evan, you've long been a, a defender of Cameron Dawson, and now we're a little bit, I think, far enough into the season at least to have some stronger feelings about his uh, role with the number one shirt, you know, 
is this like sustainable going forward because clean sheets have been hard to come by. I don't know how much you can put that on him, but you know, the, the numbers are the numbers. After watching, um, watching that match and you know, obviously he struggles in one-on-one situations. It seems to me like he might, I don't want to pretend like I'm a, a goalkeeping expert, but it seems to me like he is, he is good at at positioning. He is always in the right spot, but it seems like in the one-on-one situations, both Westwood and um, Wildsmith are both a little bit better. And maybe maybe that's a, a technique issue or a confidence issue. But um, you know, I, I don't mind Dawson, but at some point you have to wonder: should should you try to switch it up? Should we give Wildsmith a chance? Um, I don't even know what's going on with Westwood. I don't think Westwood knows what's going on with Westwood. Um, in fact, some interesting tweets as of late um, in regards to his status. But, yeah, I think that uh, it'd be nice. It's, it's not like Dawson's setting the world on fire. So I think it'd be nice to switch it up here or there just to see what Wildsmith can do. I think one of the themes of, of these last two games, and, you know, it's easy to look back in hindsight from – you know, one point out of six after a nice run, that maybe Joss is a little bit too stubborn with some of the things he wants to do. And obviously Dawson getting the number one shirt, not literally, but being the first choice keeper was a surprise coming out of preseason because there are certainly indications that they might move Westwood on for FFP reasons. But given Wildsmith's performance over the last, you know, two seasons as, as cup keeper or when pressed into first team duty when... Westwood's been hurt. I, I thought he acquitted himself mm-hmm. as one of the better keepers in the league. And if you look at the stats, and uh, you know our friend Peter from the FFP podcast so, has tweeted out some interesting stats about uh, goalkeeping lately that saw Wildsmith as one of the best keepers in the championship last year during his time in terms of like sort of expected goals and stuff like that. And I think Dawson's a perfectly fine championship-level keeper, maybe a little bit raw, a little bit inexperienced. I think sort of shows in his decision-making at times. But is there really a case that he's better than the third-best keeper at this squad or at this club, Patty? I think he's a good shot stop, but like you said, he's uh, and he's a good in-position player, like, like Evan said, too. Um, does he command that back line? Uh, no, I don't think he does. I think we're missing that leadership, and Lee Lees has never been that leader to, to command that back line. And I don't necessarily think it's all his fault these clean sheets these lack of clean sheets either so i think if you're going to have uh, a strong defense you need a leader in that center half pairing and we don't have that right now i think we've probably got um some good defenders uh, i think lees has been better the past few games for us i thought he had a terrible start to the season thornley has been great um penny has been good too um but as a whole i think they're still learning um where each other should be so I don't, I don't think this is the starting back four that Joss had in mind at the beginning of the season. So I think they're still kind of learning how to play with each other. And that obviously impacts the, the keeper too. I think he's been let down a few times. I think we've been a little bit harsh on, um, on uh, Dawson. He's not really, I don't think, uh, the key part in this defence that's to blame for most of the goals going in. I think... Maybe he should have saved or been better positioned for that first goal a phobie scored where it kind of went in his near post in the kind of top corner. That shouldn't be going past the keeper. 
Um, but other than that, he's made some great saves. And I don't think necessarily that Westwood being the sticks would have made a massive difference when you've got this kind of young um, back four in front of them. I think in the past, though, Westwood has shown himself to be very able at sort of sort of marshalling that back line and, you know, organizing a wall and a defense. He's, you know, much more of a commanding presence uh, as a goalkeeper, uh, much louder, certainly. You know, I think sort of more of a more of a leader, even though he's not an outfield player within sort of the flow of a game and certainly within the, the Wednesday defense in recent years. And I think Wildsmith, you know, has is equal to Dawson in terms of shot-stopping ability. I think his distribution is much better than Dawson's is. Um, I wonder how much of this is is Yoss wanting to play out of the back. And Dawson does seem pretty good with the ball at his feet. I don't know if that's something that Wildsmith and West would have a ton of experience with. But I also don't know if that's a strategy that's really paid dividends for them so far in the in the early days of the season. No, it's, it's scared him to death. And if you listen to John Pearson in today's commentary, he really doesn't like his playing from the back. Uh, yelling about Pep Guardiola for half the year. <laughs> He's not a fan of this uh, playing from the back and the uh, goalkeeper's not hoofing it. So, yeah, I, I think uh, a lot of fans don't necessarily like to see that, especially when you're not as good as Man City. Playing from the back is pretty terrifying. Well, you don't like Tom Lees with the ball at his feet? Uh, making runs I don't like any of them with the ball at his feet. They all scare to death. None of them feel that comfortable. And I think the I mean, thing we saw, we saw it more in the, in the Forest game, the Stoke game, but it really forces Bannon to drop deeper and come get the ball and to sort of limit our ability to get, sort of switch into the sort of attacking mindset, attacking half of the field, unless Bannon is throwing up like 40-yard worldy balls, which he proceeded to do for the first goal. <laughs> Yeah, and that, that's that's the the uh, the exact kind of get out of jail card that we've been playing for the last few weeks, right? We just um, we get ourselves into a sticky situation, and then we say, "Aha, Bannon!" And uh, before you know it, he's uh, he's taken out the entire opposition and uh, and dropped a ball uh, right on Matthias's uh, noggin. Um, I mean, to be honest, at two 0 as I said, we looked like it was going to be a really really bad day at the office and before you know it we're, we've got a goal back and we're you know we've got a chance to kind of claw back into the game and it was a beautiful ball probably the only Barry Bannon on the field that could play it um you know maybe got a little bit of of, of good fortune with the way that uh, Matthias was able to play himself in Stoke were napping but um yeah it changed the game very quickly for us um and I think it kind of it, it reinforces your point Paddy which is that if you've got players like we have at the back who are slow and cumbersome on the ball and are, are going to take their time and be a bit ponderous about moving it out probably better to to move the ball upfield swiftly and try and get the transitions moving and and why who better to do that than Barry Bannon I think the thing that struck out or uh, stuck out to me watching that pass is just it was like sort of like a quarterback almost like leading a wide receiver perfectly and throwing it over uh, the back shoulder, except he did it with his feet. And like just <laughs> literally, Fletcher didn't really have to do anything. He just sort of like ran out of the ball and was able to chest it down directly into Matthias's path. It was just a thing of beauty. It was a great goal. A great take by Matthias too. Uh, lovely, lovely chest down by Fletcher, like you said, and a lovely finish by Matthias. So Wednesday got into the half down just 2-1, and we're much better in the second half. So what do you think was the biggest change here, James? Uh, Josh Anoma. Um, yeah, I, I mean, we, we, we played further up. 
he he really is but he he's a unit with energy and drive and look i mean this guy got me pretty excited on saturday and um just for the simple fact that he played 10 yards higher up the pitch than we've been playing you know i i get super frustrated when wednesday can press the game and one of the consequences of us playing out from the back especially when sorry i'm gonna have to say it when we've got dave on the field is that we're we're playing in you know maybe 25 percent of the the available uh, space on the on the pitch so when you've got midfielders who are ranging and driving forward with purpose, it, it changes the nature of the game. You put the opposition on the back foot. And, and second half, Wednesday came out, you know, Anoma came on and uh, and was doing that. But, you know, to be fair to the rest of the side, the, the midfield unit was was effectively pressing up as well. And all of a sudden, Stoke looked, ha- looked harried. You know, we're, we're creating chances. Their back line looks vulnerable. Um, you know, we had a couple of near misses, and and it just it just felt like the whole energy levels of of the Wednesday side had lifted. Um, and I, you know, I think you have to give credit to both players and Yoss for that. They spotted something in in Stoke that was worth kind of turning them under the screw with the first goal, and they applied it in the second half. And I think um, it became a really competitive contest. We haven't really talked about uh, about Matt Penny yet, and I do want to single him out here because I thought, you know, if it wasn't for Barry Bannon having like a classic very abandoned game, he would have been clearly a man of the match for me. And, you know, he struggled to contain Tom Ince, but certainly I think, you know, much more seasoned to championship level fullbacks would have similar issues, but he always got himself into position, was able to, you know, keep the crosses from coming in and, and stifled him a little bit here and there enough to sort of keep Stoke off the score sheet for the rest of the game, because it sure looked like they might at any given time, run away with that game or or get it back to 3-1 at some point. It never really happened. I think a lot of that was due to Penny's play down the wing. You know, I think it grew into the game as well. So I think you're right. In the first half, he did struggle to contain Tom Inns, but I can't remember much um, of the same in the second half. I think he you saw a, like a young man grow in that game. Um, as far as giving like a narrative to his season, I think that might be kind of a turning point because he's been very good. Don't, don't get me wrong for most of his um, tenure so far this season, but that game I thought he really kind of shone as a starting left back. There's no way, <laughs> there's no way he should lose that position, and then the next game he loses position. Uh, I was going to say, Paddy, that that's a great narrative. You know, <laughs> he, uh, he, the, the boy became a man and then was uh, was promptly dropped from the starting <laughs> eleven and the entire match day squad. <laughs> Uh, yes, without the days of rotation, yeah, I think he should he should be nailing that down to his own position now. And he was just fantastic. That one two uh, towards the end, where he ran pretty much the full distance of the pitch, um, and then that had Sean Target, which a bit more power could have gone in, was a fantastic um, thing to see. Bit of energy, bit of pace in that left wing. He's he's good going forward. He's very tenacious at the back, and I think he's a fantastic player. Yeah, he is a fantastic player. He definitely grew into the game. I completely agree with you. And, and uh, we fair that Ince was giving him a bit of the run around in the beginning. You know, I think we're, we're going to have to look at this objectively all season. We've got players like Thornley, like Penny, who week in, week out, 75, 80% of their performance is, is really surprising us and just showing us the quality of the youth coming through. Um, and they're learning with every game, with almost every minute of every game. They are going to contain, they're going to hold mistakes as well. And, you know, if we're hypercritical, uh, you know, he gets turned. I think it was the first goal, you know, in a way that you wouldn't really want a championship left back to get turned. But he learned from that and he applied it and he you know, didn't make the same mistake again uh, in the game. So 
it, this is just kind of the nature of our season. We we've got to accept that if we want players like Penny, like Thornley to come through and be be solid championship starters going forward, we're going to have to allow them that time. And I think most Wednesdayites are completely on side with that, especially when you get those moments of flair. I think if that goal had gone in, Hillsborough would have properly erupted. And even just following on, I follow the atmosphere in the second half was terrific. So, um, you know, that was um, just one more opportunity for for him to lift the crowd. But Wednesday still did need a second goal to steal a point, and they found it once again through Barry Bannon. And I have to say, you know, he wins the free kick in a dangerous spot. He's standing over it with Matt Penny, and I had my own little sort of personal uh, leave it to Palmer moment watching. <laughs> Fortunately, it was not caught on YouTube for everyone to hear. I was thinking, because he and Penny are standing over like, oh, Penny's Penny's been very good on free kicks for the youth team. Maybe let him take this one. And then Bannon just stands over it and promptly plays the little uh, the little curler off the inside of the post, completely unstoppable. And uh, 2-2. What a free kick. When was the last time he scored a free kick? Can I remember? Direct free Bannon. kick. It was Forest Theory, wasn't it? With the Forest Theory was the last one to score a free kick probably right. for us direct, but I can't recall Bannon scoring a direct free, free kick for us full stop. I think all of his goals have been from out, uh, from open play, as far as I'm aware. It was just perfect, wasn't it? What, what I love is Jack Butler doesn't move. You know, So you watch that back and you watch it back again, you watch it back again. He's just constantly kind of open-jawed, looking to his left, going, oh, that's what he did. Um, just perfectly executed. I think, um, you know, what was it Rowett said? He said, you know, Bannon's the only player on the pitch that can do that. Probably fair. You know, it's same with the ball in the first half, same with the free kick execution. It was just sublime. It was a moment of, of sheer quality. And, you know, that's going to get us points this season. It's why we signed him up to a, a long-term contract. And it's why we're we're lauding him the way we are. Because he, when he turns it on, he absolutely turns it on. For the record, I was on a work call on Saturday morning when that went in. And I had to try and uh, mute myself whilst uh, whilst talking serious stuff. While my arms are up in the air. And I'm, uh, I'm sort of trying to silent dance, celebrate. So I guess that makes up for the fact that I was in the pub this afternoon. <laughs> There's a uh, great video on... I saw on Twitter from from the cop, and just to see the technique to get it up and down over the wall, like top corner. Like, it's just it's it's one of those where you just like tip your hat, like them. If you're if you're Jack Butland or if you're Stokes Stoke City, it's like well, you know, we gave away the foul in that area, and that's what happens. You know, though, it's not the only technique that's going up and down on the cop on Saturday either, was it? <laughs> we'll get to that in the third half of the show. <laughs> <laughs> I have jokes. Uh, but for now, we'll move on to the Forest game. Another midweek clash. The game's coming thick and fast off the international break. So Yas rotated the squad. As mentioned, Matt Penny, after putting in a sterling performance against Stoke, uh, dropped fully from the squad for Morgan Fox of infamy on this podcast, certainly. <laughs> New Hugh back in, you know, Fletcher obviously coming off an injury, although somehow still managed to grow a full beard in the three days in between games. Uh, and Palmer out for uh, Ash Baker. Uh, Onama gets his first full appearance as a Wednesday night starting in Joy Pelopesi's place. Um, and despite uh, maybe a little bit more of a, of a, of a defensive-minded setup, Still almost managed to concede faster than the Stoke game, Patty. Uh, yeah, I, I really think we played really, really well. Um, I thought the first half was a pretty good um, advertisement for the championship, actually. I thought we were both playing pretty good. Um, 
pretty good football. Uh, we were both doing a job on each other, really, in the way we kind of uh, pressed us and, and kind of kept the other team out. But it was nice, neat passing from both teams. Um, probably a little neater on the Forest side in some, some respects. Um, but I thought the first half was quite even until that goal went in. Um, about, can I get back to the whole um, dropping Penny and Palmer? Because I don't mind squad rotation, right? But when you're playing the team like Forest, who have very good wingers, very good midfield, why would you drop your starting fullbacks completely from the squad? At least have them on the bench if all goes tits up. It just seems bizarre to me. Did anyone, was there any kind of uh, comment from Yoss on why he did that? was it just kind of left to be I, I haven't seen anything I was going to ask exactly the same question obviously we're recording this pretty fast after the game and, and I've only had a chance to briefly look at his comments I haven't seen any explanation or suggestion of injuries which does suggest rotation but you know, the, my only caveat Paddy in, in all honesty is we don't know whether players are carrying knocks that aren't manifesting full injuries you know maybe, maybe he's just trying to protect a little bit of freshness you know we've got another hard game against Villa at the weekend I can understand that and you know Maybe the right question to ask is, does this expose our lack of strength and depth in the squad? Because, you know, you've got a player in Penny who's, you know, just coming out of the youth team and all of a sudden has ascended to being our starting left back. You've got a player in Liam Palmer who, you know, quite a lot of us were having a, a good old crack at last season. Um, and all of a sudden they're indispensable and we can't we can't rotate in their backups, you know. I think the bigger problem is the fact that we don't necessarily have reliable replacements in place rather than the fact that they're being rotated out of the team. If indeed they were rotated and they're not carrying a knock, as I said. And to be fair, I think Baker is, well, a slightly different skill set than Palmer. I don't think a a meaningful upgrade or downgrade one way or the other. Uh, The thing that was interesting for me is, you know, Onama, you can really see sort of the strengths and weaknesses and he's, He's a young kid that, to be fair, has some experience at this level, but I just, I didn't feel like the internal clock was there. Obviously, the foul he gave, gave away for the first goal wasn't great. Um, his passing was a little bit short from time to time, again, almost sort of leading to uh, that goal within the first 30 seconds of the match. But then you can also see him, like, pushing forward, you know, his ability to sort of, uh, you know, drag defenders here and there. And I thought he was actually a pretty strong tackler for a holding midfielder, if not sort of as, as single-minded as sometimes Pelopesi or Hutch can be in that role. I just think it's going to take time for him to sort of gel with Bannon if they stick with the uh, with the 4-2-3-1. Cause sometimes the spacing wasn't quite right. It just felt to me like, and I'll disagree with Patty a little bit here, I didn't think it was a particularly good performance from Wednesday, especially in the second half. But even in the first half, it was just kind of listless. You know, they're not a good team playing out from the back. And I think we saw this uh, more in the Forest games since they were more willing to, to press them. And the, sort of the few chances they did get were, again, the sort of long ball, you know, this time Baker instead of Bannon, to sort of just cut out cut out the midfield and, you know, sort of get the ball into the attacking half as quickly as possible. You know what? It, it, there's a really interesting point in here, which is the defense of Joey Pelopesi. So throughout the first half, and um, it seems like we've now got ourselves into a Jeff versus Paddy debate. So I thought Wednesday, for the record, played pretty well first half and were pretty abject in the second half. And what I thought we did well in the first half was that we were dynamic and we created chances. And Josh Onema was probably responsible for a good proportion of that. Like you said, Jeff, you know, you know, he showed some real kind of passion and drive in the middle and, and, and pushed us forward well and, and released players. So you wouldn't expect him to be releasing like um, Morgan Fox, 
who put in a couple of good balls from the left. So uh, kudos, Morgan Fox, uh, one of your better games on Wednesday. Um, but the consequence or the trade-off of that is that, you know, him and Bannon basically looked like they were playing their own games and not playing a game together. So that is great if you're going to get all of the forward play uh, and creativity out of those two talented players. But it's not great in terms of trying to contain a team who, you know, are still gelling, but have got some real attacking threats in midfield. And, and we basically let Jack Colbeck run the midfield, um, both first half and second half. Um, and that had that had real consequences for for how you know how much pressure we put ourselves under at the back. And I think Joey Palapesi does something there in terms of just taking care of that business that allows Bannon to be more more advanced and more uh, more expansive than uh, than Onuma, uh, was able to do today. And it, it's noticeable when he's not there that that work isn't getting done. That's that's all I'm going to say. I disagree. I disagree wholeheartedly about that. I I just. I really do think that Onoma offered so much more than Pelopesi has ever done in the first eight months of his Wednesday career in this past game and a half. I think uh, I think what caught us out today's game is that Forest are a very good midfield. So yes, we were leaving gaps where Onoma was going forward and Bannon didn't know where to go. And Bannon was also coming deep quite a lot too to, to kind of pick up the ball from the defenders. So, and also Forest did a very good job at shutting Bannon down too. You can't really yeah, disregard yeah, totally that. Fair. Um, so if if it comes to the choice between Pelopesi because he stays back a little bit more or Onoma because he kind of roams, give me Onoma every single day because he did he broke up play. He could tackle, which Pelopesi can't tackle. I'm sorry. He gets in the way sometimes just by sheer luck, I think. Um, but he can tackle. He can run with the ball at his feet. I've never seen Joy Pelopesi do that once. Um, and he can pass. He made a few mistakes. He was out of place a few times, sure. But, I mean, this is his first full, full 90 minutes Wednesday. I think as far as kind of debuts go, I thought it was fantastic. I think he's, he's got a really good future, this guy ahead of him. And we we're really lucky to have him in our team, too. So, uh, no way do we miss Joe P, in my, my, my opinion. I think Oenoma should have that position going forward. So, does it have to be an either-or, Paddy? Because, I, l- listen, I... I... For what it's worth, I agree with you. I want Onuma in the team. I think he's, I think he's dynamic. I think he adds a talent and a capability that we don't have in midfield. I think you know, with the right midfield around him, he he can be brilliant. Um, but all I'm saying is that I think I think Palapesi does something for us that we we value, and I thought we didn't see as much of it today as we we saw on the weekend. Um, you know, Stoke had 20 minutes where they also overran the midfield, but we got a handle on it. Um, I didn't feel like we ever got a handle on midfield today. See, I'm of two minds of this. Like, on the one hand, uh, if we are going to continue to play an inexperienced keeper with a back four consisting of, you know, two to three youth team members and Ramon Lees, uh, having that sort of shield, like a, a true sort of holding defensive midfielder, which I don't think is uh, Onoma's best role, I think would be helpful. And I don't know if Pelopesi is honestly that either, but. By the same token, even if we do that, we're still probably going to have to outscore teams. And I think, you know, he can be a key part of that. The main issue for me is, you know, if we're going to play this formation, it's not really the best use of Zhao. You know, Reach has kind of been lost playing in that sort of like three attacking midfield set. And obviously had an absolute shocker today. And Matthias just doesn't like do enough. Um, you know, for that role, like that role kind of requires more tracking back. Like he did, he did that already against Stoke. He didn't really do it much against Forest. He can just kind of sort of 
get lost on his little runs up the channels and you know falls over as soon as someone makes contact with him yeah is there an option to push you know on him a further forward and play Pelopesi and, and Bannon in that sort of midfield two behind the the four attackers because for me it seems like there's either you know Newhy or Fletcher out on their own up front or it's almost like a, a four two four which is I think but, how we're well, getting I mean, beat let, in the midfield. Let's be really clear about something right football is an 11 person game and what you can't afford is you can't have two of those players being completely anonymous and and today we had at least two of our 11 who were frankly anonymous and, and one certainly was, in this side is not good enough to survive it, mediocre it, poor games from Zhao and reach what well, i am matthias who as far as yeah. i could tell did, did absolutely nothing today and i you know I, i'm not trying to pick on individual players but you you've got to have the whole team fighting as a unit and every player has got to be be absolutely playing at the peak of the game to hold on to the shirt you know Matthias was absent today we've all we'll come on to reach in a second who who just I've never seen him look out of sorts I really hope there's something in the background that explains his performance because he looked technically adept which is very unusual for Adam Reach very very out of out of character but you know the player I'm going to come back and point to again is is Adi Newhu because it if you're going to play 4-2-3-1 the one has to stretch the team out of midfield. They have to provide some kind of, of ability to, to get the team higher up the pitch. And knew whose preference is to come deeper. We say this week in, week out in the podcast. And that, you know, I understand that perhaps Yoss is asking him to do that. But what I don't understand is the fact that Wednesday don't get into the opposition box anywhere near often enough and certainly not quick enough. And part of the reason for that is playing New Who up in the uh, in the front of that that formation. Um, for me, P- Fletcher plays ten yards higher up the field, and I think that's a big asset for us in then allowing players like Reach and Zhao to come into the game. And Wednesday never really got into the game, uh, despite uh, deflection to get it to two one. Uh, it's I don't know what do we really take from these two games? Like we can sort of nitpick the individual performances. You know, Stoke and Forest, I think, had a have a lot in common where they're two sides with, you know, clearly promotion ambitions and they spend a lot of money and, you know, they have, I think, premiership level players uh, dotting their squad, but just haven't really quite come together yet. And, you know, Wednesday didn't look as bad as, say, like the Brentford game or the Wigan game, but it's not time to look at the table yet. It's not Christmas, but we do have a tough stretch of games coming up that we sort of like in the middle of right now you know where do we go from here i tell you i'll tell you where we are in the league jeff and i'll tell you where we're going to go from here uh we're mid-table um we're going to stay mid-table um because we're a mid-table team we've got a mid-table set of players and we play in like a mid-table team so we drew against stoke um which i thought was a good result at home and we lost to a better team today in forest and Villa, who are playing like a mid-table team, will be a competitive game again because I think the championship has a lot of mid-table teams. Um, the good thing about this but that's league, the thing, isn't it? Right? It's we saw this a little bit last year. Like the, there is an opportunity for you know whether it was Millwall last year, someone like that, or you know even Cardiff getting automatically promoted out for some of these mid-table teams to be top top six teams. Yeah, and you got to hold that. So people will say today that oh it was a bad performance. Uh, let's throw all the like the, the the baby out with the bathwater kind of like reactions that we get from social media. There's no there's no grey area when people on social media they're either, they're either shit or the or the brilliant. Okay, we're in the grey area as a team. We're not awful. We're not fantastic either. We're somewhere in between that. And like you say, there's a lot of teams like that in the championship at the moment. And 
all it takes is to stay in that kind of uh, ballpark throughout the season. And then if we put a good run together at the end of the season, who knows where we might end up. But right now, we're, we're probably just going to stay in mid-table um, because that's about the best players we have. I think I'm really glad that you've come around to my way of thinking, Paddy. Um, I, I'm going to pull out my prediction card on a regular basis this season, I suspect, because <laughs> that's uh, that's exactly where I said we'd land up. But, it, but here's a perspective for you. And, and you know, obviously, we, we watched the game with the Forest fans. We, we're going to uh, hear from them yeah, shortly. They didn't feel super confident coming in because they had a kind of a bit of hit and, a hit and miss start. You know, they signed whatever it is, 17 players. It sounds reminiscent of Wednesday three years ago. They're still gelling and you know, they haven't quite got it together yet. But when they did get it together, the class and the calibre of players like, you know, Cavallaro for their, for their second goal, just it just turned it up a notch on Wednesday, couldn't quite stay with it. Um, and then after we scored, frankly, if Wednesday just pressed the game and maybe chased it and, you know, tried to have a grandstand finish, we might have got something out of it because they folded like a pack of cards. Forrest are not a top two side right now, not by any stretch of the imagination. Um, they might, I think, be a reasonable shout for a top six side. Um, but they're, they're on the periphery of it. Wednesday, pound for pound across that game, looked to me to be shy of Forest, And as you said, they're a good side. So that, you know, it, it doesn't suggest that we're like a, a mid-table team that can suddenly emerge from the pack and be that Cardiff or that Huddersfield of, of years past. I think we need to accept what it is, which is this is a transition year and we're going to win and lose in fairly equal measure because we're we're, we're probably not going to be uh, going on a run second half of the season and charging after the playoffs um and I, if we're all okay with that that's fine um we just don't need to get too hot under the collar when when it doesn't work out like it didn't today and we'll transition on the podcast as well a little bit more forest chat to come from smithfields in new york city and then we'll head down to new orleans to talk to chris bloom and find out how he became a wednesdayite Okay, well, it's a bit of a, uh, a first for New York Owls today. We're, uh, we've got our first ever Wednesday away day in New York City. We've been invited to uh, watch the Wednesday Forest game with the New York Forest uh, supporters group down in Smithfields on 25th Street. Um, I'm here with Carl, one of the organisers. Um, we're going to spend a little bit of time chatting after the game, reviewing the game and uh, perspectives from each of the teams and, uh, and talk a little bit more about what they're doing in New York. But just before the game, we thought we'd try and get and record some predictions and a little bit of a sense of Forest season so far. So, Carl, um, obviously a big change in the summer with all of the players coming Coming in, um, Karanka putting his stamp on the uh, on the club at Forest and big aspirations for the season. You've had a bit of a slow start. Are you uh, are you feeling optimistic about today's match? I mean, we're still unbeaten. If that stands for anything, but on our recent performances, I'm hoping we can start to drop it into fourth gear, fifth gear, and uh, maybe maybe nick a goal at some point, particularly in the last couple of minutes, which we've become uh, synonymous for recently. Well, if uh, if you need a tip, target the uh, the left wing back for Sheffield Wednesday. I like call Morgan Fox. You uh, you may find that you get some joy there with your flying wingers. But I mean, cautiously optimistic, but recognising it's been a little bit of a, a period of gelling for the Forest team. Um, it's not been a great record against Wednesday over the last few years. Um, we've been enjoying a really good run of form in terms of results against Forest. Do you see that trend continuing today, or uh, or are you optimistic for a Forest victory? I mean, records are meant to be broken, so uh, fingers on and legs crossed that we can uh, pull one out the bag today. So I'm going to press you. What's your score prediction? 1-0 Forest. 1-0 Forest from Carl. I'm going to go 2-2. Uh, second 2-2 draw in a row for Wednesday. I can see a score. I can equally see us conceding. So uh, we're going to check back in after the game and after we've enjoyed Forest's hospitality to, uh, to talk about the match and reflect a little bit more on sporting in New York. Cheers, Carl.
Cheers. Okay, so it's full time. Uh, we've got a little bit more time uh, because I'm not rushing in from the subway to get to uh, to kick off, and I'm back here with Carl from uh, from the New York Forest crowd. Two uh, one victory for Forest. Uh, Wednesday's unbeaten run comes to an end, and uh, Forest's unbeaten run continues. Um, second win of the season for Forest. In the end, probably quite an easy victory, Carl, for Forest, as it turned out. Yeah, um, I've been somewhat frustrated uh, for the, this part of the season. Um, I feel like we're just lacking in the in the final third, and I just thought today there was a bit more passion in the lads going forward, and just a little bit more creativity. So really, really happy with the performance today, not not just the win. Yeah, you you predicted one nil with a late Forest goal. As it turned out, it was uh, it was a goal late in the first half, cracking free kick in from uh, from the right wing, um, and I think Lewis Graben getting on the end of it. Um, really professional goal, and then the second goal from Cavallaro, um, beautiful piece of individual skill, cut Wednesday for sixes and sevens, and took out literally seven of our defenders to score the second. Um, you've got to be quite excited with the uh, with the skill and the uh, the poise that Forest are beginning to show going forward. I mean, I'm clearly biased, but I I just. Clearly biased, but I just genuinely have um, just really wanting the, the Portuguese lads to do well. And I think uh, Cavalli obviously just, I don't know, I think he's just got a different vision to a lot more of those players on the pitch. And I think with the uh, addition of the, I think he was on loan at Fiorentina last season, uh, Gil Diaz. Like, I think that these guys just, just make that little bit more of a difference. So I'm, I'm, I'm willing them on from all angles. Yeah, you can hear there's a, there's a few Champions League games going on around us, a little bit of background noise. But, I mean, that was a very different Forest side to the, uh, the teams from, uh, from Nottingham that we've seen for the last few seasons. Um, it's a, it feels like a very different Forest season ahead. Are you, uh, are you feeling more optimistic after today? I mean, yeah. I mean, again, I'm biased. But, you know, we talked about it earlier. Like, we've brought in, like, I believe, 17 players up till this point in the season. And I, hopefully it's just a matter of time before they really click and, and you know, they can just push forward and, and start putting the ball in the net and, and getting points on the board. So I've got to ask you the obvious question, which is um, I weren't prejudiced by giving you my views on uh, on Wednesday. We'll talk about that on the podcast this evening separately. But what was your view on uh, on the Sheffield Wednesday of season 2018-2019? Because it's obviously a, a changed team from um, from what you've seen previously. Um, what was your impressions of Wednesday and probably our prospects for the season as a result? I mean, from chatting to you boys earlier and, you know, obviously you, you're hardcore fans. I, I think it could have been a, a bit of a better performance today from you guys. I think it's always one of those when you're not that good and they're not that good and they make you look better. But, you know, I was very happy to, to play you guys today, but genuinely wishing you guys all the best for the upcoming season. Yeah, you certainly caught us on a, a little bit of an off day. I'll, uh, I'll be explaining a little bit more. In fact, that'll probably have preceded this segment on the, uh, on the pod. So we're stood in Smithfield's bar, which is on 25th Street in, uh, in New York City, lower midtown Manhattan. Um, I wanted to ask you a few, uh, few things about kind of how it's going as a Forest supporters club here in, uh, in New York and, and kind of you know, how uh, the Forest fan base is developing over, over the Americas as well. Obviously, you know, we're very much parallel circumstances Wednesday in Forest in the sense of you know, teams that have had success in history, maybe not so much success in the last couple of decades and we're, we're trying to build a fan base in America the same as you how's it going as, uh, as putting your, your crowd together and you know how, uh, how prospects are looking for getting more recruits as, uh, as far as seem to be on the up I mean first of all it's fun um, but it is a hard slog um, I'm sure you'll appreciate being a Sheffield Wednesday fan um, we aren't in the Premier League therefore Premier League therefore you know it's very difficult to, to pick up like random fans and even if people do come in for a game 
you know you you want them to actually get into the club and and keep coming back and getting those return visitors in order to to grow the crowd but um we're just trying our best here at smithfield hall to to it's a place for forest fans all over the world when they visit new york city to actually have a base to come and watch the game uh we've been trying to do some uh fan engagements as far as uh merchandise just you know people can can, can take that away with them as souvenirs uh forest back home are totally on board with with what we're doing and they're really supportive that we're essentially giving them a voice in a in a, in a foreign territory so as i say we're really enjoying it um it is a hard slog but you know we we're seeing rewards week by week season by season so yeah i know i've got to say it's been a lovely crowd they've been very uh very welcoming and very gentle with us considering the fact that um, they, uh, they certainly didn't rub it in when the, uh, when the goals went in this evening and what I'll also say is that Smithville seems to have better beer than Wednesday's home pub without saying too much uh, about the football factory in New York but Jack get better beers on tap um, for what it's worth I've been drinking a Bronx Pale Ale this afternoon which has been uh, a nice welcome respite from being at work so um, Carl all in all um, you know an exciting season ahead for you guys um, lots to compete for in the championship can see that you're doing great things with the Forest Fan Club and just want to thank you for hosting us and uh, spending time with us today so we'll, uh, we'll look forward to uh, bringing you back uptown for the return leg later in the season sounds good thanks again for coming thanks for being good sports and uh, hopefully this is the first of many uh quote unquote away days so thanks again we really appreciate it fantastic New York Owls on tour Carl thanks very much nice speaking to you we're not even two months into the season and already heading into reruns on our How I Became a Wednesday Night segment as we head back to the Big Easy with Chris Chris, how did you become a Wednesdayite? Uh, basically forced into it. I feel a bit of brainwashing session was uh, involved and uh, pried into it by a very stubborn Sheffieldite uh, <laughs> that relocated himself to the Big Easy. So, um, no, I had I had no other prior club affiliation. Um, I think Jamie mentioned that before. There's there's a few of us aimless zombies looking for a club. And so he was uh, happy enough to recruit the uh, somewhat willing and definitely not able of us to uh, become Wednesday fans. <laughs> <laughs> so you are, of course, I've got Jamie Ridgely, who we had on our show a few weeks ago, for those that didn't listen. Uh, Jamie's the, um, the kind of owner, leader, uh, ambassador for New Orleans Owls, ex-New York Owl. So how did you ex, meet Jay- ex-founder of New York Owl? <laughs> <laughs> the original, the first version, don't, right? Don't you start, Chris. You're a guest, remember? We're on the good side. Uh, how did you meet Jamie, first of all? Uh, mutual friends. Um, you know, it's a large group, a uh, uh, large social scene here as well, and, and getting out and about. And um, he was, uh, there's a whole contingent that basically ran a whole neighborhood section the Marigny of New Orleans for probably a good part of oof, almost a decade before people started moving out more recently. Um, but yeah, that, that, you know, social engagements turned into, Hey, why don't you meet me at the pub for seven thirty AM kickoff? <laughs> <laughs> See, I think this is a very, I think this is a very kind of cool New Orleans thing. Cause you said that this, that you run the, you run the neighborhood. Um, can you like, explain a bit about New Orleans culture? Because I, I really did feel like when I went, I've been to New Orleans three times now. I really did feel like, like 
it's a very great like social scene there obviously everyone knows about the drinking and the french quarter and bourbon street but the, even the neighborhoods are just kind of like steeped in this kind of like great neighborhood kind of vibe yeah i imagine i mean i haven't i've only spent a little bit of time in new york but i imagine um you know, imagine your boroughs being shrunken down to 20% their size, but still maintaining that same level of character and neighborhood pride and then access to your regular spots that you might have. Because, I mean, we are not a large city. Uh, Population-wise, I think we're 375,000 total in the actual city itself. So there's a lot of geographic differences between the neighborhoods um, and also just uh there's enough usually enough facilities watering holes bars things like that that you you don't find yourself crossing the lines especially you know late at night so it's pretty easy to maintain your your neighborhood pub and i imagine that's probably more similar to uh you know to the english lifestyle yeah i think that's true i think i think that's probably what you get a lot more of around uh, like localized kind of areas of Sheffield for instance or people back home in the UK you have your local bars you stick with your local um, neighborhood stuff so I think that for me is, is missing a lot in New York um, uh, and New Jersey where I am now especially because of like one local bar but it's pretty much from where I am now that's my local <laughs> clubhouse um, so obviously that lends itself to drinking early in the morning uh, Chris so um, what was it first that uh, appealed to you about um, first of all the New Orleans Owls and then kind of like Sheffield Wednesday as a, as a club um, I probably jumped on the bandwagon at some of its highest success, so uh, I can definitely be be painted as a bandwagoner, but I don't plan on switching streams anytime soon. So, um, just wanted to get you know watching more of the sport. Um, you know, U.S. soccer has always been, you know, national team wise has been somewhat disappointing, uh, and then we don't have really access to anyone else around here as far as MLS teams or. Uh, and growing up in, uh, at least in the suburbs and being from Southeast Louisiana my entire life, I definitely don't feel like rooting for any teams from either Houston or Atlanta. Um, geographical differences and other sports rivalries exist there. So, uh, I feel like picking, uh, picking one of the clubs at one of their heights of success was pretty easy decision to make. (laughs) Which height was uh, this? And I mean, I'm not saying that it wasn't been made to choose from over the past 20 years, but which height of our, of our success <laughs> did, you, did you join us at? Uh, the 14-15 season, and then I was able to make it over to uh, to see a match in Sheffield in the 16-17 season. Um, uh, in fact, an cool. iconic game, the, the Bristol City match, where uh, Kieran Lee was able to, to win the game from, a, I think, a 2-1 deficit and yeah, won it for us in the 96th minute. Yeah, that was an awesome game to watch. That was it your first game too? Yeah, it's been my only game since. So uh keep it that way. Keep it as a hundred percent record. I think that's a good thing. You're, you're go never back. gonna top that, so never go back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh since then we've uh we've tried to to parlay our our New Orleans Owls fanship into our local amateur club team, which is the New Orleans Jesters, part of the NPSL um group here. And uh, especially it's easy because there's no other soccer usually going on in the summer. Um, second of all, all the games are in the evenings because it's so bloody hot here. And so uh, if you ever want to see some real grassroots type environment playing on AstroTurf outside in 95 degree heat with, uh, you know, swarms of termites, 
coming down to visit us every evening. Uh, come out sometime in July. It's just like watching a game at Rothrum, I assume. <laughs> Less ninety five degree heat. More termites. Yeah. <laughs> termites everywhere. Um I'm actually an MPSL pro um uh kind of aficionado if you don't know Chris. I went to watch the MPSL pro final with Paul. Um, oh wow! Yeah. Ex podcaster who's apparently still on the podcast every now and again. Uh, <laughs> we went to see the final with uh, against Motown and Miami, I think it was uh, FC two, and uh, I really enjoyed it. It was a good laugh. But like I say, yeah, it was it was hot. It was Astros turf, um, but it was good fun. It was um, a lot of. I think I was surprised at the quality. Actually, it was, uh, uh, it was a pretty good um, fan base turned up, um, mm-hmm. and. Miami went away with the win on that, on that day, but uh, I'm going to support my local team too. I'm going to support FC Motown because they're a cool name. Um, so, as far as the rest of the New Orleans sports scenes, you, you mentioned the Jesters. Uh, are you like into uh, NFL too, or is this soccer like your only sport? How did you like get into soccer? Uh, well, uh, well, I've been a Saints fan my entire life. Uh, you know, basketball has come and gone from the city a couple times. Um, you know, and then, uh, now their new incarnation is easier to get behind with a few, you know, superstars on the roster. But, um, you know, we have, we've had uh, middling success maintaining a triple A baseball team here, which is just, uh, recently said they're going to leave town. And, uh, so trying to get behind, uh, some of our other groups here, I think we also uh, recently developed a, uh, professional or I'm not sure if they're amateur class rugby team, New Orleans Gold. Um, not particularly my sport, but maybe I feel like I'll probably make my way out there to see a game at some point. But uh, <laughs> I love this. Basically, you're covering your bases as far as sports teams go. You're just basically whoever's playing in your city will you'll join and watch them. Oh yeah, I'm uh, uh, particularly I'm much more of a college football fan, but uh, I'll watch the Saints and I try not to mess with the rest of the NFL. Um, for various reasons. <laughs> what, what a fantastic, what a fantastic game Sunday, right? Oh my goodness! Uh, yeah, so we have a history of giving winless teams wins. Uh, in fact, we haven't uh, beaten the Browns at home since 1984. So uh, we were we were ready for the worst, and uh, we almost got it. <laughs> well, we uh, we kind of expected to miss four field goals or five field goals or whatever it was. So. Um, no surprise at the, at the outcome of that one. Have you sacked that guy, by the way? Have you sacked this guy that missed far field goals? Yeah, yeah he's gone. We we uh, fired him Monday. Brought brought in a new kicker the next day. So. <laughs> Just remember, so, whenever you uh, you expect the worst, the Browns can always beat that. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. It's beautiful. It's so but, close. That's that's even worse of a defeat, probably. Uh, but I have to say the visiting fans were fantastic. I go, I'm a season ticket holder for the Saints, and uh, I've missed a se- you know a few games here and there, and I've had my share of uh, pretty nasty fans. But depending the res- uh, even though the result, the uh, the fans are still in in good spirits, and and really I think you just can't insult or do anything to them that hasn't already been done to them by their own club. Oh yeah, I mean we're we're just a, a miserable bunch, so you know. We we probably say worse things about our team than you possibly could. It's oh, yeah. just kind of how it goes. 
So, Chris, we asked uh, Jamie this uh, the other week, and he gave us some 4 a.m. spots to go to in NOLA. So, we want to give our listeners some kind of like uh, places to go drinking, some good beers to drink while they're there. So, what's your favorite bar in New Orleans, and what's your favorite beer in New Orleans? Uh, well, since I'm a recent father and a one year old, I think my favorite bar is the one that's closest to the house. <laughs> uh, so, uh, Fimacools is uh, just about two blocks away. So, I can usually scoot over to there and you know, get a pint or two before any other obligations to come back home. Um, and there's a good sense of community, um, with them as well. Uh, and, uh, pretty much one of the best, if not the best sports bars in town. Um, if I'm going to give somebody that rivals them, if you want to watch some sports, uh, I probably have to say Cooter Browns. It's, uh, in, in the Carrollton Riverbend area of new Orleans. It's, uh, not really close to anything else. It's right where uh, the river bends west or coming from west to east, uh, beginning of uptown New Orleans, which is just the big uh, the big dip, if you're looking at geography, of the Mississippi River. And you can get some great raw oysters there for, I think it's still maybe $15 a dozen, shucked on site, uh, ready to serve on ice. Uh, done really well and a fantastic selection of beers and a large amount of TVs. Sounds what was good. that called again? So that's uh, Cooter Browns. There's probably Cuda. nothing nothing more Bayou sounding than Cooter Browns. <laughs> Cuda. <laughs> Man, yeah. that's awesome. Quite the institution. Uh, I, my, I think the height of that place I've been to was uh, maybe the first or second day of the uh, NCAA basketball tournament and the place is just packed. Nice. Yeah. Good stuff. Hey, I have a question for you. Um, sure. you. You already talked about the one match that you saw in, uh, live, but other than that, what, what are some some highlights that, that you've seen that, that stick out in your mind in, in the time that you've been following Wednesday? Uh, well, I mean, I, I, I've it's been easy to get behind the and your love of Anti New Year last season, uh, especially late in the year. Uh, I was a big supporter of his and his goal scoring ways and the majestic tall lumbering movements of that giant beast. Um, but, uh, since I'm, you know, not really a historic fan of the club, um, you know, the, the playoff push was amazing. Uh, and then, you know, uh, seeing Jamie go off and, and get, try and get back home (laughs) within the last few moments of, of that month to make the, to make the trip. (laughs) Unfortunately, uh, you know, Huddersfeld shootout gave us the, uh, you know, send him back home packing, but, uh, that was a great yeah, run. We... Sorry, go ahead. No, sorry. I, I interrupted. I was just going to say, yeah, we remember, you don't have to go into detail about the Hutter field. <laughs> uh, shootout. I know so, it's, uh, to see them promoted, uh, what was it? The next season was, uh, yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, it, it's interesting because, you know, obviously Wednesday fans are a miserable bunch, uh, but, and similar to Browns fans, like we already talked about. But you know, if if you did come in in, in 2015 or, or 14, it, it's really just been good. I mean, it's been fun to be a fan. I know last year wasn't too good. We didn't start out so well this year, but overall, I mean, it, the last four years of of Sheffield Wednesday have have been pretty uh, pretty fantastic, haven't they? Uh, absolutely. I mean, um, you know, tried to do a little bit of following pre- previous to, you know, the I follow access and, um, and being a, kind of a casual soccer fan at 
before that point was really difficult even trying to follow the club. I think I remember meeting Jamie one morning at Fema Cools and he had hoped the team would be on on one of the BN Sport channels and uh, or at least the main BN Sport channel before they opened up all their streaming channels and I think they got bumped by some infomercial. Was it Dr. Ho? Uh, Dr. Ho. <laughs> Dr. Ho's magical <laughs> back <infamous>. race. He <laughs> <laughs> was a he's gone on in the New York Hours legend Dr. Mm. Ho. <laughs> that I time had, as well when we were we were scheduled to be on uh, being sports and they showed the Barnsley game instead without any notice whatsoever so we all turned up there I think it was 7.30 in the morning to watch Barnsley versus somebody else yeah I think another time was MotoGP or something was on instead yeah, that's of uh, a popular one yeah <laughs> last night's La Liga game in Spanish sometimes <laughs> that was only like three years ago guys like talking about like 20 years ago like I know long ago <laughs> so um, we all know you guys for the games uh, this weekend, though, is a pretty special one because it's Jamie's fiftieth birthday weekend, uh, and you're starting with the uh, proceedings uh, with the Wednesday game versus Villa. Have you got? As it's his birthday, I want to kind of really um, throw him under the bus here. Have you got any lovely stories to share about our wonderful New Orleans Owl uh, leader uh, ahead of his fiftieth birthday? Uh, well, I don't know if you're aware of this, but he has an annual pil- pilgrimage into the Lake Pontchartrain here. He calls the Nola Dunk on New Year's Day, where I've seen him wear near nothing. And some years, the winters here are really a coin flip, especially in January, December. It could be an 80-degree day, I think, like it was this year, or it could be a 20-degree day. And I did get to witness him jump into Lake Pontchartrain with wearing nearly nothing in 20-degree weather. And it wasn't pleasant. Uh, I can't imagine that. Nearly 50-year-old penis strip shiveled up in cold. Not good at all. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's no pictures of that, by the way, was there? We could maybe uh, share on social media for his 50th birthday. I think if you dig hard enough on Facebook, you can probably find a couple years of this going on. <laughs> <laughs> Patty, are you suggesting posting a 50-year-old shriveled dick on Facebook? <laughs> as long as Jamie Mitchell is, yes. Yeah, I'm happy with that. All right. I was supposed to get things back under control now that I'm back on the show, and clearly that's gone out the window. <laughs> Two segments. I think in. we should probably, should probably leave it on that message. Actually, if, um, and if there's any other stories to uh, top that one, um, Chris. I should really uh, if anybody can make it this weekend, there's going to be one hell of a party for his fiftieth. <laughs> I'll tell you that. Yeah, if any Wednesday fans are in that area, um, go down to New Orleans for one heck of a party for James Fiftieth. Happy birthday, mate. I'm sure you'll have a fantastic one. Yeah, uh, Chris, it's such a wild time that they closed two bars that he was planning on going to ahead of time. <laughs> I saw that on Facebook. They planned to go to two bars and they've closed them down already. In- <laughs> yeah. yeah, such places of ill repute, the state had to revoke their licenses before he had the opportunity to bring all of his friends there. Uh, yeah, fantastic. All right, Chris, well, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, have a fantastic weekend. Hope you get some uh, time with uh, Jamie before he uh, turns 50. And uh, we'll speak soon, hopefully. All right. Thank you so much. Great, great show, guys. Now it's time for some Wednesday news. And we'll clean up some news from the international break with another international goal for one Addy Newhew. Although the goals have dried up at Wednesday, he did score for Kosovo. I don't remember who they play. Was it Faroe Islands, Luxembourg? One of those lo- lovely uh, League of Nations, Nations League. Frickly Athletic, I think it was. Matches. <laughs> <laughs> Frickly. Um, but good for him. Like, I kind of 
like the sort of I think it's nice that the Nations League allows for those these sort of lower tier matchups, so it's not just like endless Italy eight Luxembourg one friendlies during this time period. And also give uh, Addy a little bit of chance to pad his international goal scoring record, which you can always uh, you can always appreciate. I think it was also like Kosovo's first like official home game, so pretty cool to get a get a goal and a win. For the it's Kosovo the first national team, win not just home game. They've the first time they've won in, in competition. Right, but I think it was the first home game they've actually played in Kosovo too. Right, yeah. So it's mm-hmm. doubly kind of uh, yeah. historic. So for Ati to get that, it obviously meant a lot to him too. So that's uh, where the beard spurt growth came from. <laughs> maybe <laughs> did not seem to carry over into the games this week, but perhaps in the future. Uh, another bit of Wednesday news come out of the uh, Stoke game. Uh, this is from The Sun, so you know, take that as you will, but The Sun just stole it from Twitter. Apparently, a, uh, a Wednesday fan at some point may have spotted a couple behind them engaging in, I think, what The uh, Sun called an erotic activity. <laughs> There's no way The Sun called it that. That's way too <laughs> highbrow. So I clicked through. I will confess. Uh, and it was a little bit of a, a, as it was described, sort of just like hand up the cargo shorts. <laughs> and of course, being uh, oh, can I, being can I Yorkshire, call they did on blame this it right now. They also blame it, it on a September couple of foreigners. Sheffield. What's a man doing in the cop wearing cargo shorts? Ah, yeah. I'm sure the yeah. I don't. Know if I mean, <laughs> how so, do we know they're foreigners? Oh no, th- this was quoted in the Star article. Um, as you can tell, Jeff, we've all done our homework on this particular <laughs> uh, to the segment. Um, the Star article said. Uh, I heard them talking in foreign accents, and thus I determined they were foreigners. They were speaking English, though. Yes, but with a foreign accent. Right, so yeah. Um, I'm just going to now read off a series of jokes I came up with (laughs) in regards to this piece of news. Hold on, Jeff, hold on. Um, If you are listening in the car with young children, it would be advisable (laughs) to stop listening to the podcast around about now. Yes, this is going to be uh, TV 14, at least. Uh, so, it was nice that Hillsborough saw more action in the stands. They did during the Stuart Gray era. That's the first joke. <laughs> Paddy, do we have a soundboard for these? No, I'm just going to try and, like, fill... I'm going to laugh if it's yeah, funny. Yeah. If not, I'm just going to boo. We all know blood flow is important, so can they do it on a cold Tuesday night in Stoke? <laughs> I mean, the Bannon goal was good, but it wasn't really, you know, grab your partner's junk good. <laughs> Boo. Yeah. And of course, they're playing Stoke City, not Stroke City. Hey! <laughs> Boo. Yeah. So is there like a cheeky British slang term for the little old uh, grab and tug? Just wanking. Wanking? Hmm. That's, not, that's not offensive here in America, is it? I actually saw something on a menu uh, in uh, Jersey earlier this week where they had some fish and chips and they call it the Bloody Wanker, which I thought would be a strange name for anything on an English menu. But that's what hold, hold on, Paddy. Can I pull that's you up on the grammat- grammatical correctness of that? I mean, he wasn't wanking. He right, was that being was my wanked. point. Yeah. No, but, they, mean, they, but they were wanking. <laughs> <laughs> Did you not learn this uh, at school? The, uh... According to the person who put the tweet out, they were both wankers. But mm. There's also a pie thrown. I should throw that in there as well. 
after the Stokes' first goal. A small child. This happened at Fulham last whoa, week, whoa, too. Whoa, Jeff, Jeff, uh, hold on. The two two events weren't consecutive. Right, right, no. This <laughs> wasn't like an American Pie kind of situation here. <laughs> the pie wasn't thrown at the cargo shorts. Can we right, just be no. clear on that? These are two right. separate incidents of hooliganism. Is that even accurate? Right. It was all kicking off, wasn't it? Yes. Gosh, Stoke comes to town and everyone gets a little bit kind of free and merry in the stands at Hillsborough, who knew? And you called Stoke boring last week in the preview. I'll never make that mistake again. Uh, Wednesday, we're without Fernando Forestieri for both games this week. They'll also be serving the last of his three-match ban from the uh, preseason kicking off, as it were, this weekend at Villa. Uh, It seems a little weird to me that it took this long to investigate. I mean, I guess it's a preseason friendly where you're going over like people's grainy cell phone footage because it wasn't on tv or anything but i don't know there, it was sort of vague sort of the statements coming from the from the football league the football association on this um i mean i guess it's just done and dusted i suppose there have been conflicting reports on whether the sort of the investigation on whether or not forestieri used a you know a, a racial slur is still going on. I don't know if there'll be some sort of clarity on that in the coming weeks, but he will be back for the Leeds game. Um, and, you know, it's a squad that could certainly use Fernando Forestieri, as we've seen this week. Well, I think it's important to note that the report did not say he was guilty of racism. It was like violent right. conduct. I mean, he did literally punch someone in the face. It seems. Yeah, he, he got in a he got in a fight, and yes. that is that's that's not allowed. Mm. That's what he's suspended for. So, you know, ho- hopefully, it's clear that he he's not found guilty of racism, which is yeah for it's me unclear. that that's what was most important. You know, I, I don't like that he was fighting, but um, I, I was really really hoping that that he wasn't. Uh, did, didn't make any racist comments, and so far that's held true. Both teams were fined as well, and I imagine there will probably not be a return fixture next preseason. Does that hurt FFP? <laughs> I don't know. Does that count, James? You're our resident FFP expert. I, I can tell you for the uh, for the about the twelve people that turned up in Mansfield. Uh, no, it doesn't, doesn't make any appreciable <laughs> impact on our revenue line. Um, I think, to be perfectly honest, the fact that we've uh, we've had to pay a fine. Uh, probably does hit FFP, so don't chuff and go to Mansfield. I mean, I've said it before, I'll say it again. Don't do it. Hey, I'm glad that you said it out loud because I'd literally forgotten who they had played for that game, and I wasn't going to look it up. Well, well, the Mansfield player also got a three-match ban. Yeah, fair enough. So, um, you know, it's, it was basically what they're saying. It was, it was, it was Forrest Thierry versus this Mansfield player, um, and evidently no one else was violent the whole time. Which is kind of strange, because looking at the video, it looked like there was quite a bit of violence. I think, to be fair, half the Mansfield crowd were on the pitch as well, being violent. Uh, as far as I'm aware, none of them got three match bans or fines, but I, I guess maybe you know their penance is living in Mansfield. In other news, recent podcast guest Rob Staten has left Radio Sheffield and headed to Hull, where he was immediately outed by Hull fans as a Sheffield Wednesday fan. <laughs> was, was it them that outed him? <laughs> We, we, we can't comment on this, uh, mm. so let's swiftly. Uh, but of, of note, as soon as Robert left Radio Sheffield, uh, Sheffield Wednesday struck an agreement with uh, Sheffield Wednesday to reinstate away game commentary on the BBC in South Yorkshire, which is good news. 
very good news for people back home, yeah. So um, no more complaints from about people's grandpas not being able to log onto the internet. Yep. If you're in your potting shed somewhere in uh, in Sheffield Hallam right now, you can uh, <laughs> you can lament just how awful Wednesday were, and then you can phone up Praise of Grumble. You just can't speak to Rob Staten anymore. It's all Andy Giddens, I guess. And you won't be praising or grumbling at Sean Clare's performance because he has moved on to Scottish Premiership leaders, Hearts of Midlothian. I think this is actually, from his point of view, probably a, a good move. He gets uh, gets regular playing time. I assume he'll be first choice winger up there. I can't really speak on the quality of parts of Midlothian or Scottish Premiership football because I try not to watch it. Uh, but he will be joining ex Wednesdayite Steve McLean, who is still playing, Patty. Oh. Boy, I'm sure that's what he really dreamed of when he uh, decided not to sign a contract with us, isn't it, to play with the 36-year-old ex-Wednesday player from 13 years ago. I mean, what happened to all this premiership interest he supposedly had? Why he kind of didn't want to sign for us? Did he just turn them down to play with Steve McLean? Because it was no, such a been strong injured, pull. hasn't he? Might be part of it, just trying to get fit and get first-team experience. I assume Hearts will be looking to sell him on, probably. And Wednesday will get compensated for the whatever arbitration training compensation which i saw someone tweet out it'll probably be like in the low six figures and every little bit helps at this point yeah it's, it's not a lot of money but it's it's some money i mean it's, it's more we, we'd have got if he'd gone to some belgian third division <laughs> club um so so bonus there but i thought he'd gone to swansea did i totally mistake that what happened that? there yeah i yeah, i, I seem seemed to understand he was going to sign for swansea back in august I think that's that's the team that he he turned down, or one one of the teams he turned down. According to the reports, he turned down offers or an offer from a Premier League side and then multiple big clubs. I don't count Swansea right. as a big club. Right, you are. Who who you uh, told him that? Knew. Yeah. Well, good luck to him in heart of Midlothian. Where where Chuff is Midlothian? Any, it's, anyone uh, know? It's Aberdeen, isn't it? Mm. I, nah. I might be making that up. Nah. Well, because it's hearts. It. No, it's hearts and it's hearts and hibs is the the derby there. It's it's, really the wall. it's, it's wildling territory. We don't really track it from uh, from the north. Let's stop guessing about Scottish football. It's in Gordy it's, in the it's, west it's of Edinburgh. Edinburgh. Yeah, it's Edinburgh. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> God, it's Edinburgh. <laughs> Definitely stop talking about Scottish football with our accents. Okay. All right. Edinburgh. That, was, that, that wasn't even a remotely credible Scottish accent. You, you, say, you, say, Edin, you say Edinburgh, Patty. Edinburgh. <laughs> Edinburgh. Borough. Burr. It's not a borough. It's a borough. It it's not spelled Burr. borough. It's not spelled borough. It's called Edinburgh. Edinburgh. Don't okay. Games to push this on the so, Scottish accent. So the, so the good news is you knew what we meant. Yes, but I don't like the G sound. Now we move on oh. to Birmingham, which I think we all know how to pronounce. <laughs> and our match this weekend with Aston Villa, trip to Villa Park and old friend Steve Bruce, another squad that's gotten off to a bit of a rocky start, despite uh, probably top of the table dreams at the beginning of the season. So what do we make of this matchup, James? Um, I think it's a pretty tough one. Um, 
Look, I mean, Villa haven't had a great start to the season, but what they have got is the core nucleus of the squad that got very close to promotion last season. You know, they they lost in the playoff final, you know, by by the odd goal to Fulham. So, um, despite all of the uh, financial pressures they were under, which we have to state just for the point of reference, were very different to the financial pressures Wednesday under. You know, Villa's situation was they had cash flow issues. They couldn't get their owner couldn't get money out of China in order to be able to fund players' wages and payments that turned out to the HMRC back in the UK. Uh, that's the Tax and Revenue Authorities. Um, but they don't necessarily have a problem with FFP. So because of that, they've been able to hold together under new ownership with injection of cash the majority of the players they had last year. And they've got some very good players. They've still got Jack Grealish. They've you know um, got a, uh, a forward line that you know, is the envy of most teams in the championship. They just haven't been performing. Um, and that's been increasing the pressure on Steve Bruce, um, uh, who I think a lot of Villa fans are still sceptical about whether he is the manager to get them out of the division, despite his track record of doing so with other clubs. Um, but I, I think it will be a tough game. I, you know, we, we've never had easy games at Villa Park. Obviously, last last year we uh, probably had the highlight of the last season of Carlos's reign with that amazing goal from Reach and uh, and almost a goal from Liam Palmer, although he skewed it wide, the pillock. Um, I think it's going to be a tough game this year. I think Hurahan is going to be troublesome for us in midfield. Um, I worry about our back line. uh, And I'd be ashamed to say it, I'd be happy for us to come away with a draw. It does feel like it's going to be a a bit of a run back of of the last two games this week in sort of terms of the way the teams match up. You know, I would expect to see... Uh, Penny and Palmer back in the squad. Be interesting to see what they do in midfield, uh, and and who starts up front. You know, Hooper is probably pretty close to being ready. I know Yasu said he wants to get him a full, a full ninety minutes with the under twenty threes. You know, we sort of didn't talk about uh, that in the news segment because I forgot to add it. But you know, Kieran Lee has obviously picked up another injury uh, shortly after his uh, first run out with the under-23s, but Hooper seems to be progressing well. Um, probably not ready for Villa. Maybe sneaks back into the squad for Leeds. I just... You know, we played Villa well recently. Um, you know, that said, I've also felt a lot better about the Forest match until one Paul Owen put in the WhatsApp route that we'd won seven straight matches against them with a... Uh, Six, plus 16 goal differential or whatever it was. Um, for some reason, Villa doesn't, like, I feel like we match up well with them. Um, I think it probably will be a draw. But, you know, I would not be shocked if, they, uh, if they're if they able to sneak three points here. Which I think will be useful because I think we're really going to see sort of in the upcoming schedule what this what this team is made of. I think, um, for what it's worth, I think we'll do pretty well against Villa. I don't think they're a very good team at the moment. Um, and I think we might even sneak a win. I don't think we'll lose. Do we have any other business? Uh, yeah, we do. Thanks <laughs> for jumping in, Patty. Right there on the agenda for you. Um, so, um, you may remember us talking a couple weeks ago about the All Wednesday film, um, which, um, was premiered in Sheffield, Matt Exton, um, and we said we would get in touch with Matt around possible screenings, uh, here in the Americas, 
Um, we will be doing that hopefully uh, as soon as Matt gets clearance from the club on a couple of licensing issues. So stay tuned to our um, Twitter feed, our Facebook and our website and we'll try and announce it on there when it's done. Uh, already Portland uh, and New York uh, are very eager to um, get this up and I'm sure New Orleans will follow too. Uh, if you are interested in Screen It, give us a shout in your bar uh, and we shall uh, try and hook you up. Um, and coming on to that, there. Hang, hang on, Paddy. Hang on. Yes. Um, hookup has a very different uh, connotation in the United States than it does back in the UK. <laughs> Evan, would you care no, to explain? <laughs> yeah, yeah. A hookup in the United States is when, generally speaking, you um, get with with a partner, somebody else. It can be a man, woman. Uh, Something boy, similar that happened in the yes, stands against Stoke, basically. Anything. Yeah, yeah, and basically there's fornication. Um, you go up to someone's cargo shots. Generally, mm. just like a one-time, two-time, maybe three-time thing. Each time is a singular hookup. Um, You're friends yeah. with benefits oh, kind oh, of oh, situation. Oh, you do it three times in one time. Evan's still in his twenties. <laughs> um, I can't say I've never done that before. Evan's know. in his basement. Let's be clear. <laughs> Yeah, my steamy hot basement. Patty, do we have any matchups or sorry, meetups <laughs> to talk about this week? Certainly no hookups today uh, um, to talk about. Um, we do have meetups this week, and actually, um, something we couldn't really publicize last week because we didn't do a podcast is that uh, we've had a couple of Vegas meetups. Um, our friend Martin in Thailand is on holiday at the moment, and he's found a place that'll show the Wednesday games, and that place is the Crown and Anchor Pub. Uh, it's a British pub, as you might expect, with that name. And he'll be there again for the Villa game this Saturday morning, which, by the way, is on ESPN Plus in the US, which makes it much easier for your bars to pick up. So if you do have a bar that shows soccer, more than likely you'll be able to show the Wednesday game on Saturday. So let us know if you're going to go down to a bar to watch the game and we can push the word out through our social feeds. Also meeting up Saturday are the New York Owls, of course. We're back at the Football Factory, um, which is also the home of the New York Villains. So that'll be a good turn up. Um, and of course, mentioned earlier on in the podcast, it's Jamie in New Orleans' 50th birthday, and he is starting proceedings with the Aston Villa Wednesday game at Finn McCool's. All the details for those are on our Facebook page, on the events page on Facebook, uh, and you can get that link via owlsamericas.com. This has been episode 38 of the Owls Americast. You can find us on the internet at owlsamericas.com. Email the show at owlsamericas at gmail.com. And find and follow us on Twitter at owlsamericas. Our podcast intro and bumpers are by fellow Wednesdayites, Reverend and the Makers. The podcast is on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, Podbeam, and probably anywhere else you choose to download podcasts. There's no wrong way to listen to the show. Just do what feels right. Wherever you choose to consume the Owls Americast, we ask that you rate and review the show as it helps more Wednesdayites find our ramblings. And speaking of ramblings, you can leave the show a voicemail on our Dazed in Mumbled line at 1-401-307-1867. International rates do apply, but you can dial it for free using Google Voice. James is on Twitter, at Manhattan Owl. James. Is it... uh, Kilmarnock, St. Johnstone, Hibernian. Can you help me out here? Is that all correct? Uh, I'm just going uh, over the I'll Scottish come, Premiership I'll, I'll table I'll come to that here. in a second, Jeff, but I, I, I just want to say that I thought you read that out beautifully, and mm. I really hope that Evan was taking notes. <laughs> Hamilton Academical. He's got notes. He's got his script. 
it'll come in helpful on uh, on a future occasion when uh, when you're suddenly James. not able to keep us organized. Yeah, I'll tell you what. Ne- next time, uh, next time Jeff calls off a minute before the podcast is supposed to start, <laughs> you, you can host. Ooh. Ooh, oh, okay. Um, so yeah, it's it's Hiberian internal thistle or something along those lines. Um, I've got no idea, Jeff. Look, I've been to Scotland like once in my life. You know, we're we're like Americans and the rest of the world. We don't really kind of, you know, try and go anywhere other than the place that we live, apart from everywhere south. So yeah, no, I don't uh, don't do a lot of Scotland. I'm afraid. Um, Hibernian Imperial Edinburgh Aberdeenshire type mm. places. They're they're all very um, kilt attired and uh, ginger haired with um, shortbread. Stop it. Stop it now. We're fucking multiple. Evan is on Twitter at Ohio Owl. Evan, do you have any thoughts on Wednesday youth goalkeeper Dan Wallace joining Frickly Athletic on loan? Nope. <laughs> did, did he play against Kosovo? <laughs> Patty is on Twitter at Patty A. Jones and at New York Owls. Patty, can you do an actual proper Scottish accent? No, because you've never been to Scotland. Stop, stop digging us into this hole. I mean, we might have some Scottish people listening to us. They're going to just turn off straight away. Steve McLean fans out there. I think we Twitter. actually do have Scottish listeners, Paddy. I mean, if you're serious about that, I'd, I'd love SoundCloud. to see the stats. I'll yeah, dig up the there stats. is Scottish owls. Yeah, there's Scottish owls. There's a group. Let's find out if they listen. Apparently, listener stats are all the rage in Wednesday podcasting right now. So we should probably look that up. We've got um, 300,000 downloads in our first uh, few months, so uh, that'll be ours. <laughs> I'm on Twitter at Jeff Pedernastro, and we'll have some listener stats for you next week.